Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Macrovisor podcast. I have a special guest here, Jason Purse. Jason's a longtime friend of mine. We've discussed trading. We've discussed the economy. We've discussed everything in between. We've had a lot of fun off mic, but we also like to have fun on mic. Jason, how's it going? Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, great, man. It's uh, yeah, off the mic today. It's been great chatting with you already. You know, I think we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about market's been uh, quite interesting lately so there's a lot of things to talk about in uh, every direction as always it's just great to catch up with you yeah it's great to have you on my friend and uh, I remember we had a lot of fun talking last time about some of the kinds of swing trading techniques that you employ I thought this time we'd zoom out and look more at the first half of this year because it's just behind us. We're recording this on Saturday, July 1st. So we just mm -hmm. closed out the first half of the year. It was a really interesting first half. By some measures, I believe it was a NASDAQ 100, had its best first half performance ever, which was mm -hmm. pretty crazy. And I think it kind of tells the story of the market we're in, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, the NASDAQ has been a good trade. And for me, it was uh, I, I got along the NASDAQ for uh, very fortunately. Um, it started to show relative strength early in the year. Uh, and then it just kind of continued to be the outperformer so far, which is how good trades usually happen for me. You know, I don't I don't think my good trades happen because I'm sitting there and, and, and thinking so much. I think most of the time my good trades happen when I'm going. The environment looks like blank. Um, you know, for for example, the environment looked like uh, yields should start dropping. The Fed could stop uh, raising at some point this year or pause. Um, there was going to be smaller rate hikes. Yields in the in the long end of the curve stopped going up. Um, they didn't really go the other direction, but they stopped going up. Uh, other countries started to show some relative strength as well, like um, emerging markets like uh, Mexico. Um, you know, so so as all these and Europe absolutely showed a lot of relative strength. So seeing that there was liquidity in the market, some of these things kind of coming in as well, and then going okay, there's relative strength also in the tech sector, but also I know what drives the tech sector, and and you know when people would talk to me so much about like I can't believe you're long tech. Look at the breadth in tech. Look at this. I also got my ass kicked in 2017 thinking like that because the market got gets so thin as the years go on that you don't that breath doesn't work exactly the same like there you got XLK is really the leading sector which there's a Nasdaq it's at 38% for the year and the XLK is over 40% for the year and so when we look at both of these we go what you know what's really driving this XLK is mainly uh um, you know what? I'm going to actually look it up because we should get the exact numbers for this because XLK is, I think it's around 50% of Microsoft and Apple at the moment. And wow. so, yes. So Apple is 23% uh, of the ETF and Microsoft is 22% of the ETF and NVIDIA is 4%. So basically you're talking like two stocks are 50% of this. You know, the rest of everything else in there is under 4%, under 2% mainly. Uh, but you're talking about the two biggest stocks in the world basically pumping the, up the tech sector. And if we even go a little bit further, let's look at the Qs, which is the NASDAQ 100. 
If we look at the NASDAQ 100, once again, they're the two biggest ones, which is Microsoft and Apple. Uh, Microsoft being 12%, nearly 13%, and then Apple being about the same, 12.5%. NVIDIA being behind that at six point, almost 7%. So, I mean, it's like, you look at that and go, okay, well, what's, you know, is this a good rally? It's like you could click <laughs> the smaller stocks in the, um, into it and go, you know, there's only these two holding it up. So obviously this thing's going to crash. And only thing I've learned over the years is that I can't look at it that way as, uh, you know, there's, there's people always talk about the crazy um, times in the, in the sixties, there was a thing called the nifty 50 stocks. And these were like the IBMs and so on of the day. And they were the can't lose stocks and everybody bought these stocks and they were never going to go down. And once again, you know, same thing like today or 2017 and 18, um, you know, these stocks are going to be the leaders forever and ever and ever. And basically, you know, everybody got crushed in those stocks just after that. And it's kind of the same thing today, but it's more like the nifty fifties. People forget people made a lot of money in those. Oh, yeah. And it's the same as the fangs. Now, like people can make a lot of money in these. This is a this is a trade. So once again, as traders, we have to understand that even though we might not agree with the fundamentals sometime or we might not agree with the way things are working, sometimes only a couple things are dragging this whole thing up, especially when the weighting is so skewed these days. This isn't like. This isn't normal, like in history, like this is this is the largest waiting, I think, uh, you know, I don't I don't know that for a fact, but I, I can't think of a time where there was larger weightings in uh, the major indexes than today. It's it's very close to I, I believe we may have broken the all time highs recently, especially with Apple hitting three trillion dollars. The top five S&P stocks right now are about 28 percent of the total market capitalization of the index. So, you know. That's just five wow. stocks. The other 495 have to take a back seat. If we look at the bottom 493, though, if we discount the Magnificent Seven that have really been leading this market higher, they're only up about three and a half, four percent. And if, if we actually zoom out a little further with the top 15 leading stocks and we look at the other 485, they're only up one percent. So it is it is a very interesting environment, right? It's easy to be in this market right now if you're not in the winners and actually not be making any money and it's the the amount of waiting that's happened uh in, in terms of just concentration in these really really big mega cap stocks apple's now seven and a half percent of the s p 500 yep microsoft is seven percent of the s p 500 amazon's three percent nvidia's over two and a half percent it's amazing how big they become and as we were talking about off mic there's been reclassification to kind of push these around and sort of like throw Amazon into discretionary or retail, right? Yep. For example, or, or throw Google into communications because and meta, because why not? Yep. But these are all yep. tech companies, aren't they? Yeah. So if we're looking at that in just a, you know, a simple in the simple context of going, OK, well, what is leading the markets right now? And let me pull that back up and we look at, OK, the top S&P sectors XLK, which is tech, obviously. Everybody knows that. XLY, consumer discretionary, which is really Amazon. Yeah. Um, so Amazon's doing well. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, and Tesla. So great. Communications. Let me throw that on there. Oh, that's actually above consumer discretionary. That's at 36%. 
So it's, you know, you have, you basically can pick from tech or tech or tech and you've done pretty well. <laughs> yeah, some industrials are starting to pick up now and so on. But, you know, there's also uh, energy is down. Utilities are down. Financials are down on the year. XLP is nearly flat. The Dow is up 3%, but there's also a lot of Apple and Microsoft are in that as well. Yes. Um, you know, emerging markets is at 5%. XLI, now we're back up to 10%. So basically anything that we're looking at in the in the market, you know, isn't clearing 10% while tech's up 40. Uh, <laughs> and that's only based on those two major or three major stocks in there. So I, I think it's, um, it's, it's important to also be able to gather just inform general information of understanding like what's in these things. And it's also the reason why I only trade, I don't trade individual stocks. And the reason why is years ago, I started to look at the ETFs and going like, you know, when ETFs came out or people started really trading them heavily, everybody hated them. Everybody said, oh, these are terrible. It's a terrible idea. For me, ETFs, the indexes, I love them. And the reason is because if you look at the way they're built, they buy strength over and over again. So I'm my general idea of trading is that trends persist, relative strength is important, and so on. So as these things are moving up, basically what they do is they have a heavier weighting in the strongest stocks over and over again, and they kick out the weakest stocks. So basically, it's riding winners, kicking out losers. This is the reason why you see a lot of like the S&P 500 had the same stocks it had in it when it started, like the S&P 500 would be worthless. But because it rotates and because it gains new members and so on, now it's, it, you know, it continues to move up. So it's riding the winners. So even though like if you're buying individual stocks and you're having trouble, and I, I think buying individual stocks and being a very good individual stock investor is really tough. Um, and for me, trading all these different markets, like I trade different countries, I trade different commodities, different currencies, uh, crypto, whatever can be traded, I'll trade it. But picking individual stocks, especially when you're getting that small cap, micro cap range, like it's very hard. It's a very tough business to get into. It's very tough to make that consistent. I don't think I have an edge in it. So I kind of stick to these things. And I think if you're learning how to trade, just trading the ETFs and trading things like that will be generally a little bit more helpful for you because they have more, I don't know, and, and BMX we'd call it boo-boo room, meaning you could, yeah. you know, Basically, like if you if you're doing a wall ride and there's, you know, a nice landing on there that's a little bit bigger, like you won't land flat and hurt yourself. So you'd call it like boo boo room. And that's what I call it today because I haven't learned much past that in BMX. <laughs> I haven't learned a better way to say it. Uh, but like it's that. like you have, room. you have this little bit of room to to mess up. And I think that's really important to have that room to mess up. You know, you mentioned that, and I think that's a really good, important point, because when people are listening to this, you know, they got to know you are a swing trader, right? You're looking at things over longer time frames. That's really the, the time frames we're looking at at Macrovisor here as well. Longer time frames are really important for the type of trading and investing that we do. And I love that going back to the earlier podcast we had together, you mentioned that relative strength in the NASDAQ months ago, that this was one of the mm -hmm. trades that you were putting on, that you know, you're getting into this because some of the things you were seeing coming together, and it's been an absolutely brilliant trade. And regardless of what's happening in breadth, 
you know, you have you were able to see that because of that relative strength and get in quite early and enjoy, you know, really the best first half of the NASDAQ that's ever happened. So kudos on that. But going back to Boo Boo Room, I think this is really important. I know a lot of people get lured in by the idea of easy money in stocks and particularly in options, but there's actually much more risk in stocks, isn't there? Because there's so much more that can happen to a single company that can make shares worthless in a matter of minutes. Yes. That it's, does that risk doesn't exist in commodities. It doesn't exist in, um, you know, the indexes. It doesn't exist in Forex. It, it really doesn't exist in bonds the same way, unless you're in really bad parts of the bond market you should avoid. So it's, it's like one of these risks that I would also say, you know, a lot of stocks go to zero. There's there's yes. just a lot that just don't make it. And I don't think that's something that people necessarily appreciate as much as perhaps they should. But you should speak to that a little bit more because I think the idea of boo-boo room and this idea of like a cushion, making sure mm -hmm. that you understand the relative risk. Because one of the things that I've always felt was really important about your approach was position sizing based on volatility. And this is getting to the point of that too, right? You're kind of like, well, some of these things yeah. are so volatile. I can't quantify the risk. I'm not going to put it on at all. Yes, exactly. I mean, trust me, I see, I'm just like everybody else. I, you know, see financial news. I see Twitter. I see all types of stuff and individual stocks. Sometimes I look at a screen and I go, oh my God, this is amazing. And, you know, there are certain things I'll put on trades, but they're mainly like only if there is no such thing as an ETF in that sector or the ETFs are terrible. Um, like, you know, the oil tankers trade I had a few years ago, I basically sized it. So it was kind of like an ETF. And also with my trend following models, it would kick it out. So I don't usually trade individual stocks at all. But in my retirement portfolio, I do. But that's it. But for my my real my portfolio that I'm trading day to day, my portfolio that's uh, that I run for other people in the managed accounts. None of that is anything that I use individual stocks on. And I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, I've heard people it's, it's very easy to get drawn into stocks because there's a big story behind it. And I think if you look at something like QQQ or the spy or XLB or XLE, if you're looking at those, there's no real crazy bias that's going to come into your brain from it. Um, you know, and that's why I always say traders should start out with those, like especially if you're doing ETFs like, or sorry, options, if you, especially if you're doing options, do not do them in individual stocks to start, do them in ETFs. But if you're looking at something and going, OK, well, XLK, it's just tech like I'm, I'm not really I'm not wed to Apple. I'm not wed to Microsoft, even though those you should understand what's in these things. Um, I can just put on the trade and be objective about it as, as a trader. You know, like once again, if you're a person who's trading fundamentals and you're a person who's doing uh, some, like, something like that, you're going to have to have a different approach than I do. But if you're looking at relative strength, if you're looking at macro, if you're looking at liquidity, if you're looking at uh, groupthink, if you're looking at those things like I look at, then you can kind of just come in and go, okay, this is like this, this is like that. And also it's helpful when you're doing something like, like I look at COT reports a lot. I really like COT reports. I think they tell me a lot about market positioning. 
I think it's very important because if you're, you know, take it to an extreme level, if you got a hundred percent position on in, uh, if everybody in the world is long gold, who can buy gold, who can pump it up anymore? So it, and yes, that's extreme. That's never going to happen, but that's the point is that, and it's the same as, uh, you know, we talked, we've talked about this before in November, 2020, I had a trade and everybody was short, um, into the election. So at the very least, I know that there's not many more people to sell. So the market can't go down very much. And if it does go up, the risk to reward is huge. Right. So understanding all those things and kind of able to put together, okay, I like positioning because if I use just the major indexes, these commodities, these currencies and so on, I can see the positioning of them very easily. Um, and when you get to individual stocks, yes, there's insider trading, there's all these things, but there's so much other stuff that goes into it. And I've watched people really struggle like over the years of being like, okay, like, you know, I, for example, I was, I, I worked with a uh, gold mining fund years ago and they would go and find these new companies and, you know, like, I can't tell you how many companies just disappeared. Yeah, And that doesn't mean that they... Um, you know, they're, they were bad people or bad investors or anything, but it's like, what's, why put on that much risk? Like why have the risk if you don't have to? Yeah. Um, I would, I would rather be betting on a 1% move in the S and P 500 up or down even <laughs> than betting on like a, you know, a possible hundred percent zero move in something else. You know, you can lose 20% the S and P 500 on a trade would be like your big, drawdown like if you didn't have stops or something but if you have something on and like the some new gold miner or a new energy company or a new tech company or so on your risk is just too large i think it's important to just always understand your risk being the 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 ultimate thing in your trading has to be i know this can go to zero i know i could lose more than that and when you're in something like futures i'm never going to deal with a gap overnight you know, my, my overnight risk is, you know, I can get stopped out overnight. It doesn't even matter. Um, but if I'm in an individual stock that has earnings and that earnings, you know, are terrible and it wipes 50% out in the stock and overnight, like I can't do anything about that. I can, my stops aren't going to matter. Nothing's going to matter. So it, then it destroys my, the volatility of my portfolio, uh, my position sizing changes, you know, like all these things can't change for me to be a good trader. So I have to do it that way. And I think that makes a lot of sense for for people that are out there, especially that are trying to figure out how do I swing trade or how do I do kind of longer term trading? You know, the idea of individual stocks, like I said, it's attractive, but there's a lot of risk. And if you don't have a very strong bearing on the fundamentals going into it, and you're not buying more mature, stable companies. You mentioned new companies. I think that's a very important risk to identify as well, because a lot of new companies have a very high failure rate uh, post IPO. And so... You know, I, I think it's important to look at this from the idea of one of the keys to trading and investing isn't just making money, it's surviving, right? So yes. that you can you can tell the tale and you can come back and 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 go again. And obviously we all want to have our capital appreciate. That's why we get into the game in the first place for the most part, right? But we also yeah. need to make sure we have capital left that can appreciate. And I think it's very interesting the way that that you look at this because it is something for people to really consider. If you're if you're looking at how you're going to manage the distribution of your risk in your portfolio over time, you know, price is one of the variables, time is another variable, and of course, you know, with money, 
if we do take a loss, it sucks, but you know, we might be able to work and, and, and make that money back if we have to through trading or otherwise, but we can't get the time back. So the other thing that's yes. really important to managing risk that I think a lot of people lose sight about is how long they let something just slide. Maybe it's not going against them, but maybe it's not working for them either. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the things that I see people get in trouble with is they'll just get stuck in a trade. So as a trend trader looking at this, I know you have systems in place that would probably tell you this isn't going anywhere anymore. The momentum is gone. How do you manage time as a risk? This is a great question. I don't think I've ever had it asked to me, but I have thought about it and I have worked on it. So for me in trading, it's a great question. For me in trading, when I'm looking at something and going, okay, this isn't working, I don't think anything of it at all. Now, I'll tell you why. In futures, I have too much leverage. I never go to full, I'm not, I'm never fully leveraged, you know, so I don't get a margin call or anything, but I'm, I'm, I have so much leverage that I could put on, you know, every position I've ever wanted to, or probably just 30, 40 positions in whatever market I want to and call the day. So when something is chopping around and let's say, you know, because I'm as a long-term trader, there's tons of positions I've been in that have gone nowhere for two, three months and then have gone everywhere after that, you know, like it's uh, natural gas being a good example oh, of yeah. that. Uh, you know, it, it sat and went nowhere. You know, I had a, I, I have very wide stops on natural gas because the volatility is so high. So I'm sitting there with this very wide stop on natural gas. It's absolutely n- not going anywhere. It's, you know, just watching this thing chop around for two, three months and then it explodes, you know. And I always say like my, my the, that you never know where your biggest winners will come from. And it's because you, sometimes that's going to be your biggest winner is that you put on a position, you're going, why isn't this going anywhere? Now, this is also a thing of, of once you grow your account. So if you're, if you're a new trader and you're going, you know, I put on this position, it's sitting here for a little bit, um, you know, I have to do something different. I have nothing wrong with that. But if you have a larger account where you can put on, you know, or especially if you're in futures and you're using leverage and you put on a lot more positions, that changes the game a bit. That means that you're not really miss. I'm not miss. There's not an opportunity cost there. I'm not sitting there and going like, oh, I wish this was in something else. I'm going, well, I have the time. You know, for me, I have the time, like because I have the the capital. But that took a long time to get to the point where I had the capital to do that. Um, and that's okay. That's how, uh, you know, most traders, I hope nobody trades with, with all their money. Um, you know, trade small, trade, trade with the least bit of money that you can at first. But as time moves on, you know, if you gather more money, it's easier to sit in things like that. But I'd also say, you know, if you, if you have a signal and you're following a system, you're following your plan, and it's a trade that's sitting there for two, three months, you know, that's also something that if you're if you're a position trader like me, like I'm swing to position. So sometimes I have trades that are on for years, um, you know, just really when I get stopped out of it. So it's if I'm going to put on those positions, I'm always going to follow my, my system and my plan. And I think one thing that's the most important thing that we that's that isn't even to um, isn't really in this conversation, which is just having the discipline learning the discipline to just put on your position, walk away, 
whether it's chopping around, going up or anything, if it's not stopping you out. If, and honestly, like there's very few times where I have positions that are just sitting there and not stopping me out. You know, most of the time, if it's a bad trade, I will get stopped out of it. Um, so, but if you have that discipline to just put on the trade and be like, well, I'm not stopped out. It's, it's cool. You know, it's, it gave me the right signal. I waited for relative, let's say you're like me, you use relative strength, you use uh, positioning, you have all of these signals kind of going your way and then you get a price action signal and it breaks out the right direction and then it just sits there. I would sit in the trade just because the discipline to follow your plan is worth way more than getting out of a position and back into another one. You have to have the discipline to follow your plan or you will not do this well. And it doesn't matter what you know you think you're missing because I think a lot of the time when I see people um, talk uh, talk about things like this, they're talking about kind of – you're not talking about it this way at all. But they're like younger traders when they just start trading. They're talking about getting in and out of trades. You know, They're like, oh, well, I for example, I was in the Dow and the NASDAQ has gone up 40%. I'm just going to jump in the NASDAQ today. You know, <laughs> like it's like – that that would be a bad idea. But if you're a person who's like, you know, if you let's say you also have the discipline and a plan and your plan is also once my trade has hit 30 days, let's say you're a shorter term trader than me, your trade hits 30 days and it doesn't go anywhere. I take off the trade. That could also be your, your plan and your discipline, too. So yeah. I think there's a lot of ways to structure it for me personally. Like I'm just going to put on the trade and, and wait. Um, and there's very few times where I ever see a trade just kind of sit there for six months and not really do anything um, with the way my risk management is set up. That makes a lot of sense. Now, when we look at time as a risk, since we're now in a world where margin cost has gone up by at least 500 bips over the last 14 months, yeah. how do you look at that now? Because I know that I've, I've talked to a lot of traders that are handling that, but differently trying to keep less uh, overnight and so on. Mm. For me, um, I so as a position trader, so the shorter your time frame, this is also kind of important and, and something good to study. I studied uh, this when I first started really getting into futures. The shorter your time, your time frame is, the larger positions will most likely be and have to be considering I'm looking for, you know, let's say a product like the NASDAQ. I'm looking for 20 percent moves in something like the NASDAQ. Um, if I'm looking at something like natural gas, it could be a hundred percent move for all I know. Um, you know, Bitcoin so with, I have a 35% trailing stop on that. I'm looking for 150% on the major trades in Bitcoin. So it's, I, I have very small positions, but if we're looking at like a day trader, now we're talking about your positions or, or even an overnight or one week trade, like we're talking about very large positions because you're only looking if you're if you're trading for one week in the S&P 500, you're mainly looking for one or two percent, maybe three percent moves. So now you're able to you know put on that big position, look for a couple day moves and that's it. Um, so your your positions have to be bigger. For me, I never get to that size at all. I'm always like to really hit those those uh, risk management levels that I'm talking about like one, a 1% loss uh, for my portfolio on losing trades and gaining on average about 5% of my portfolio on winning trades, 
I have to have very small positions to make those losses, right? So most of the time, it's only like very few times I've ever seen where I've had tons and tons of positions on because everything's giving signals are the only time I'm ever going to get close to, you know, a margin call. But for me, I'm not near it. I've, I haven't gotten had any trouble with any of that yet. Um, and that's mainly just because I stay so small in comparison to what I have every time. So I think uh, the biggest thing that people do is really over like trading too big. I think everybody trades too big. I think if you're getting a margin call, that's trying to tell you something. Um, you know, don't look for if you're trading one trade, you know, like even if it's a day trade, like you're using your entire account to trade one trade, like that's insane. You could lose everything in one trade. So, you know, you always be open to, hey, I might need a smaller size. For example, here's a great one. Alexander Elder, he would train traders um, and he would go to New York and meet with different traders or different firms and he would sit them all down. And what he would do, he'd find trade, all the, it was always the traders that were having trouble. And what he would do is cut their size in half. And most of the time, this would be enough to make them trade well. Uh, and then if they were still having trouble, he'd cut it in half again. And this would make them trade well. And this would work nearly every single time. And I think that every single person, like, because trading has so many different styles. I can't tell you to be like me and you'll make money or be like mayhem and you'll make money. You know, like you have to really come up with your own strategy and your own style. But I do know that large size, the amount of stress it puts on your brain um, your body, the world like around you, like it's, it's going to affect your trading. You're not going to trade well, not to mention if I have a trade in natural gas and let's say, you know, I have a hundred thousand dollar account to make an, an, an easy number. And let's say I'm using $50,000 of that account on a natural gas trade. And that thing is, you know, it's as volatile as it can get. So it's swinging down 20%. So it's wiping 20 grand, you know, from, or, or sorry, it's, it's swinging down 40% in a few days, you know, like it, and it can. So natural yeah, gas is swung down sure you know, 30, 30, 40% in a few days or a week. Uh, so let's say it goes down, you know, 30, 40% in a week and you're losing $20,000 in a week. You're going to stress about that. Like it's a, it's a, it's a small, it's a smaller account. Like that's a big size. That's a lot of money. You just lost 20% of your account in one trade. You're not going to be able to just hold on to that trade like you should as a swing trader or a position trader. But if you take that size and you make it so um, it swings down 30, 40%, and you're losing, you know, $4,000. Now you're talking about, okay, well, that's a lot smaller. That's manageable. That's still too big for what I, I think you should be doing. But once again, it's not, this isn't about me. But if you're doing something like that, you're going, okay, it's four, I lost $4,000 in a $100,000 account. It's natural gas. It swings to those type of levels. That's not going to bother you nearly as much as losing twenty thousand dollars, or you know, or so on, you know, or forty thousand um, dollars. So it's it's really important to have those sizes small, where you're not using you know a hundred percent of your account. Like if a hundred thousand dollar account, you have a hundred thousand dollar trade in natural gas. Like we just said, you know, fifty fifty percent loss in natural gas means you lost half of your account. That's going to drive you nuts. That's going to make you crazy. That's going to make you trade badly. You can't hold on to trades like that. So you're just going to take, once it hits 50,000, you might just cash out right there and say, fuck it. Um, but if it's at 5,000 in a $100,000 account, 
you might be able to just hang on to that, you know, and be like, okay, well, uh, you know, it's natural gas. Uh, this, my stops here, it's wiggling around. That's okay. And that's just the way it's going to have to be. Yeah. And natural gas is, is such an interesting instrument to trade. I mean, I know we're talking about relative risk and some people call natural gas the widow maker and perhaps aptly, aptly so if people are trading with too much size and over trading it. But it is a vehicle that, that has uh, been really interesting to trade because it is so high beta and in relative risk terms versus the average stock, maybe not a blue chip or a mega cap, but the average stock, natural gas can actually be less volatile and and, and certainly yeah. we know it's not necessarily going to go to zero. And if anything like that does happen, it's going to be very short lived. And yes. uh, the contract we're trading is Henry Hub, right? It's or at least yep. mostly that's what I trade is a Henry, Henry Hub contract. So <clears throat> there's actually some reasons to look at natural gas potentially constructively into a very hot summer as well, isn't there? Yeah, you know, and uh, natural gas is a, to me, I love any instrument that can give me some un uncorrelated returns. Um, natural gas does not give a shit what anything else is doing in the market. <laughs> it does not care if, if uh, the market, if there's liquidity, it doesn't care if the Fed raises rates, it doesn't care if the Fed lowers rates. It does, it just kind of does whatever it wants to do most of the time. Um, and I think that's important to have in a portfolio, just something that can diversify you to a point where you're like, okay, well, this is just kind of doing what it's going to do. Bitcoin, I like Bitcoin because it's a it diversifies my portfolio. Gold, same thing. Bond, same thing. Like all of these things will diversify your portfolio. But natural gas, you know, for me, I really like the the base it's kind of carving out at the moment. I do have a new buy signal in natural gas. I forget which contract month, but uh, I think it's September. And so it's, just, it's carving out a base. It's starting to move up. It's showing some relative strength in the in the face of the market. Um, I think it could be a very interesting time. It's just like you said. But for me, it's, um, you know, natural gas, I think just trading it in general is a is a uh, you need a class on it, basically, because it's so volatile. <laughs> it's so hard to trade. It's so frustrating at times. Um, but once again, it's a it's another trading vehicle. If you trade, if something move like I'm looking at the, the commodities right now, natural gas moved three point two percent yesterday. Oil moved one percent. Gold moved point six. Most of the time, the nat natural gas is going to have a much bigger move than everything else. So yeah. if I put on positions in natural gas, I want to make sure, you know, there are smaller positions. For example, if I need to have a 20% stop on natural gas, then I'm going to have in a $100,000 account, I'm going to have to have a $5,000 position. And that is it. Um, $5,000, 20% trailing stop. That gets me to $1,000. Fantastic. You know, that's a that's a good trade. Now, once again, 20% in natural gas, that can happen any minute. So you might even need to have a smaller position to that, might even need $3,000 position, um, you know, to get to that smaller size because natural gas can make such large moves against you. But really, like, it's it's a very volatile product. Another volatile product is Bitcoin. If you are if you are a trader, like, it, you have to understand the volatility over everything. Like, me and Mayhem have talked about a million times. It's if you're trading... Bitcoin at, you know, $10,000 and you're trading bonds at $10,000, there's a huge difference in those two positions. You know, like bonds, uh, a 1% move in a day in bonds in 30 year, like that's the most, one of the most volatile bonds. That's very rare. You know, like 1% days happen, but it's kind of rare. 
Um, if we're looking at currencies, same thing. 1% days are kind of rare. In Bitcoin, 10% days aren't really rare. <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah. they happen. So it's like, so if, you know, a $10,000 position in, in Bitcoin, you know, your, your you know, 10% stop is being $1,000, like, that's it. You're done. Like, like party's over. And that could happen in one day in Bitcoin. However, if you're in bonds, that 10% stop is perfect. You have tons of room in bonds to, to have a $10,000 position with that 10% stop. So Bitcoin, you need a 30% stop and bonds, you have a 10% stop. So understanding the differences in those two, you know, if you didn't understand what I, what I said there, you know, you feel free to reach out to me, or, 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 you know, do something, but understand what I, what I'm saying right there, that will save your trading and make you a good trader more than anything else, because we're always going to be wrong. And if you can make the math, so you're able to be wrong and continue to make money, you're going to be a good trader. If you set it up, uh, and I don't care if you're, you're, you know, George Soros or Stanley Druckenmiller, like you can't set up your risk in a different way than that. They all, people always talk about those stories, right? Here's something that we hear all the time, and you've heard this too, uh, which is the stories of Soros and the, they're shorting the pound and they all jump in and they go as big as possible and they short the pound. These are one in a million trades. They're talking about the trades. Like these dudes have had great returns for many, many years. Not to mention like Soros had that crazy, what, 10,000% return um in that fund he had with uh, Rogers all those yeah. years ago, he never even talked about what <laughs> what trades were actually in there. But he talks about the one trade in the pound because it's kind of that's what the things people want to hear about. When I talk about trades, everybody likes to talk about when I shorted oil to zero. You know, like everybody loves that story; it's a good story. But once again, it's not how I made most of my money that year. <laughs> like it's not how it's not how I am consistent. It's not how I do it year after year or quarter after quarter or anything. That's a whole different thing. So understanding that those are most likely never you may never see a trade like that in your lifetime where you're like, I know this 100 percent. And if you do see it and you feel like, you know, something 100 percent, you probably don't. And you're probably going to blow up. <laughs> yeah, that's actually that that's a really important point right there, right? This idea of self-certainty is usually what's going to get someone into the biggest trouble no matter what their time frame is. You could be a day trader, a swing trader, an investor. When you're 100% certain about anything and you go max into it and and mm -hmm. then add to the danger zone leverage, I mean, it can be a really bad time and I've seen people do that. They get married to a story or they get, uh, you know, very, very uh, high levels of conviction about uh, something that they feel is in their analysis that may not reconcile with how things play out. And you've always got to ask yourself, too, like with so many incredibly smart people participating in the market, some of whom command an enormous amount of size. Why would we assume that we're the smartest person out there? and We figured this out. No one else gets it right. As Steve Cohen he, he's, um, you know, pretty, pretty well-known hedge fund manager from Point72 um, and before that SAC, which had some issues, but still, you know, got to respect the guy and his legacy. He says his best traders have about a, a you know, a 60% win rate. And so you yep. got to look at that, right? Because at the end of the day, that's a really important thing to think about is if you're getting upset with yourself as a trader or an investor for being wrong, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. It's mm -hmm. about whether you're you're letting it lose money for you, particularly more than you should. 
And if you're employing what Jason's talking about, which is the crux of how I manage my trades too, I mean, every trader has to do this. Every investor has to do this. Yes. Everyone who participates in markets in any capacity has to be able to employ some kind of risk management that measures your sizing based on volatility. And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. You might use average true range. You might use implied vol, historic vol. You might use you know a number of different measures, beta, et cetera, to figure out what that sizing is and what works best for you. You may backtest different drawdowns over time, which is something Jason and I have done to try to figure out where stops should be. But, but at yep. least do your homework to figure out your risk management and be okay with being wrong. The biggest hmm. thing that I've seen for traders that I think have a lot of potential getting in their way is their ego. And it's like, yes. oh, I can't be wrong. I'm right. The market's wrong. And it's like, it doesn't matter whether the market's right or wrong. What matters mm -hmm. is what it's telling you with price. So if yes. you're in a trade and it's going against you, you've got to be able to say, you know what? Maybe this isn't the time. Maybe I need to look at other things. And if you start getting emotional about it, A, it means you have too much size on. So that's your mm -hmm. internal radar telling you, you know, this this trade is is if you're keeping yourself up at night, if the trade is is giving you thoughts when you're not even by the computer, if you feel the need to check every tick on the chart and it's not even a short term trade, you've got too much size on. And you yes. can't, you know, and the other side of it, the other extreme is if you don't give a crap about how your trade does, if you're not even looking at it. If you don't even like check on it at all, that's okay if you know what you're doing and that's how you roll and you've got automated systems to contain your risk. But for most people, that means you don't have enough size on to care, right? And and so it, it all depends on how we approach things. Jason, you wisely said there's no one size fits all approach, right? Everyone's going to be different. So how we invest and how we trade should suit our personality type. We should, yes, you know, Absolutely. go ahead. No, I was just going to add to what you said, you know, because that's also the thing that I do see a lot that helps people when your size is so small that you don't really worry about each individual trade. Now, this is for traders with actual stops. This isn't something where I'm talking about somebody buying a stock and thinking that's going to go up in 20 years and they put 20 bucks in it. Uh, this is, you know, futures trading or big stock trading. You have actual stops in and so on. When you are actually able to really walk away and really just trust your systems and trust it to manage the trade, that's going to be a good trade. Um, and that doesn't mean you you made money on that trade. That means you trusted your plan. You said, my plan is this. Some people's, you know, they're, they get in and out of trades based on fundamentals or something. If you're trading based on your entries are chart wise, you know, you have a model that says i'm going to buy 100 day highs you have a 20 percent stop on this whatever it is and you're able to just walk away and let it run sometimes that's going to be your best trades you know like so because you're finally able to not fiddle with it too much you know like i watch so many people i can't tell you how many people over the years i i see two different things happen people will come up with amazing trades and really, like, you know, when you're a futures trader, a lot of it's a shotgun approach in a, in a sense where you're putting on many trades. Some of them are going to get stopped. But if you're a if you're a systematic trader and you're going to continue to put on trades no matter what, you have to be able to just pull the trigger always. And so put, making your size small enough that pulling the trigger isn't going to drive you crazy understanding your systems well enough that you have the faith in your system to let it run 
and then you know waiting for your exit signal and so on figuring out how you're going to do it that's going to be how you know you can really systematize your process if you're i see a lot in traders where they go in and they're like okay i have a really good idea i have a, I have a friend he's way smarter than i am he's genius but he overthinks trading trades every time he came up with the uranium trade right before the major run nailed it he was out within a day yeah i don't like it they changed some policy in you know some country <laughs> that i've never that i don't even know what it is and i kept, and i keep the trades on because like i'm i'm looking at it and going okay this is a good idea uh, i also like the way the chart is let's say um, you know i'm buying the etf in the sector I'm going to put on the trade. I'm going to wait for, you know, my trailing stop or my sell signal, no matter what. I always put on trades and I don't care what happens. If Jesus came back from the dead and was like, you know, I'm not, I, you know he was like, hey, Jason, I've seen the other side. I kind of have this idea that, uh, you know, that trade's not going to work out soon. I'd be like, no, well, that sucks for you, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, like uh, I'm going to continue with my trade. And that's really like how, how I am and how I traded. And some, like sometimes, you know, there's, there's going to be the fundamental guys that sometimes nail perfect tops. But I know for me, like I never – that's not something that I can do consistently. I know nobody can make that consistent. They can't do it again and again. And if I can't do it again and again, it's not something that's going to make me money next time. So I will leave the trade on. You know, I've seen it in, in many trades. So you'll see a lot of people just kind of talk themselves in and out of trades. And I, I think a good approach is once you're in the trade, you're in it. You know, I don't care what what happened. It's like the NASDAQ. I could have came up with every reason every day. And even in my own head, I'm like, I don't know why this is going up. You know, I have friends who, you know, they talk to me about the semiconductor trade or I can't believe you're doing that. And like every day, like, you know, these are going to correct by 50 percent. And I'm like, well, that doesn't doesn't matter when you when you have a big gain and also there's a stop there so it's not like i'm gonna lose 50 percent overnight <laughs> um, so you know you run into those things over and over again where people overthink the trades so much that they miss the good trades and for me it's like if i put let's say i put on the nasdaq trade and it went against me i lost one percent of my account that's it one percent of the account so what does it matter like what the opinions and so on and all these things, they, they don't really matter. So you start to learn like you really trust your system. Opinions like that don't matter like they used to. You're going to put on your trades. So as over time, you just refine, you're refining your own systems, your own strategies, um, how you're going to do things, what you think you did badly, how you could do that better next time. And really that's when you start to get to the mastery point of trading and you're starting to just work on yourself internally because internally is really your biggest battle like you don't you don't have to i would always talk about when i when i wrote bmx professionally i would always talk about like i would look in a mirror and just kind of talk to myself because like that's who i'm fighting like that's what i'm riding against that person i'm not sitting there i'm not looking at the other person that i'm competing against or saying i need to be better than this guy I'm always trying to be better than myself and I'm trying to do like even if you're the best rider in the world and you watch everybody else ride and you want to do something, you're still thinking about what you can do at your best, you know, no matter what, whatever sport it is, you you know, uh, LeBron James isn't going to turn into Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan isn't going to turn into LeBron James. They're going to be two different players forever. So just understanding what's my strengths 
Um, how do I work on myself? What do I talk myself in and out of a little bit too much? Um, am I too headstrong on this? Am I not too headstrong on this? You know, like understanding those things about yourself is going to be how you can really get to that mastery point in trading. Because before that, you're really just kind of refining what's your methodology. And then once you come up with your methodology, then you can kind of get into that point of now I'm really working on myself and trying to figure out how I can get better as a trader. Yeah, and I think that's a it's a really important point about just putting it all together. It really is and and trading and investing really are something where we have to spend a lot of time looking inward, getting to know ourselves, testing our limits, you know, finding our weaknesses and trying to build on them so we can get better, but also realizing where we're strong and never being 100% satisfied with those strengths, continuing to exercise to build those muscles, that reflexive ability to say, look at a chart and know if this is an opportunity or to analyze a situation based on the commitment of traders or other positioning and measures and say, is this an opportunity? You know, when people first get into this stuff, when you and I first got into this stuff, we look at this stuff and we'd be like, I don't even know what the hell this means. But over mm -hmm. time, you start to build new neural pathways. You start to, you know, understand these things, not only like uh, taking a couple you know, minutes to analyze it, but almost at a glance, things start to stand yeah. out, you know, and, and this is one of the things because I don't want people to be too intimidated with the process. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think a lot of people get a little bit uh, kind of pushed back by is, oh, my God, these guys must spend like their entire lives just immersed in information and charts. And, you know, they just must like always Not be doing all. this and have no life at all. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, the reality is that you plug in. You find out what works for you and you build systems so that you can automate as much of that workload as you can and you can mm -hmm. build on that capability that technology uh, so generously affords us to go back and look at all kinds of different data sets and see how different trading environments affect different assets, the personalities of different assets and how we can qualify entry and exit. And this is one of the things that I really like about how you trade because you're much more systematic in your approach. You, you Like you said, you set it and forget it. It doesn't matter if you read a headline that like, you know, Apple's failing tomorrow as a company. You're like, well, if it fails, I'll get stopped out. That sucks for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's the truth. I mean, honestly, like I could read any headline and it's not going to change it. And like the one thing you learn over time is that, you know, a lot of the, you know, people in general, and, and I, I just made a post about this on my page, which is uh, the Milgram experiment. And, you know, you have the Milgram experiment where they were trying to figure out why people would possibly follow the Nazis to gas these people and kill these people and so on. And so they did these studies where Stanley Milgram took um, people and he put uh, a random person in, and it wasn't a doctor, just a random person in a coat that looked like a doctor's coat and just said, you're a part of this experiment. Um, you know, we need you to shock this person if they get answers wrong. And they would be shocking the person and the person would be like, I'm dying, you know, I'm, I'm having a heart attack, please stop shocking me. And they would continue to like, ask him questions and they'd ask him a question and the person would be answering signifying that they're actually like dead, possibly. And they would be like, well, you have to shock them and they'd be like, okay, and they'd continue to shock these people. And so like it was it was obviously a setup like there was no person in the other room getting shocked, but they thought there was right. So it's like. People in general, when they watch something like CNBC or CNN, like they, they 
they grasp on to these people and what they're saying and the headlines behind every news article and so on. And you don't know whether that person on CNBC or that headline is somebody's book. Like if somebody's short than that, like, for example, easy example, hate to call out, you know, another company, but Hedgeye, uh, just because it's an easy example and I don't really know another one to say, um, they, you know, I have a friend who's has their, has their service and he was like, you have any signals that are, you know, short the NASDAQ right now, quant signals? And I said, no, he said, well, how, you know, how are these still <laughs> uh, in, in short signals? And I said, well, I said, okay, well, let me, let me just double check. And so I went over a uh, 200 day high signal, which is like one of the longest term uh, trend following signals for quants. And then I went over, you know, uh, 200 day moving average, obviously just simple signals and so on. And, you know, crossover signals and everything. And, and I went probably through like 30 or 40 systems, you know, of the most popular systems. And, you know, I even went to long-term like monthly charts and Bollinger bands and volatility signals. Cause there are vol expansion signals. All of them were in long signals, but this person at the same time is saying that the NASDAQ is in a downtrend. Like, and they're not talking about their fundamental reasoning. They're talking about their quant signals. Right. So my point isn't to make fun of them. That's fine. They can do what they want. But it's to say sometimes when you're paying attention to these things, sometimes when you're seeing these things on the news services or, or a certain newsletter or you know somebody's service, understand that they might be talking their book a little bit. You know, they might be you know, trying to pump out certain information for their own gain or they're just talking about certain information because they want to believe it's going to happen. You know, like if if you've been talking about being short the, the Nasdaq while it's gone up 40 percent, that's pretty damn damaging to you. <laughs> so you're going to obviously want to say, well, it's going to happen soon. Like the short you, you guys are going to miss it if you get out of it. Like, that's fine. But I've been shorting it for, you know, the last 40 percent, but it's going to crash, you know, another 80% tomorrow, you know, like, so you're going to continue to build up this echo chamber in your own head. So my point is, you know, just don't, don't get too stuck into to things like that. And it's okay to have the idea that you're, you don't like the NASDAQ fundamentally, like, I don't even like the NASDAQ fundamentally. Um, but if you're looking at it, and you're trying to say, this is a quant system, and I'm, I'm long this because of the trend, or I'm short this because of the trend, sometimes people will straight up lie to you. Sometimes people don't really care. The only thing you can know for sure as a trader is to find good services, you know, like like Mayhem, you know, that really kind of give you the information and tell you, here's all the information. This is what I'm thinking. And then you can put up your own things with it. And then on top of that, understand what do I do as a trader? I'm a trend follower. I don't care about the fundamentals. If I see the NASDAQ is in an uptrend, I think it's in an uptrend. That's where I go with. I, I can be wrong on that, but that doesn't mean I do, I do something differently. Yeah, and I, I think that's a that's a really good point about, you know, just focusing on the signal, focusing on the system and, and making sure it works. If we get distracted, if we find that, you know, we're letting outside influences impact 
how we're trading then or how we're investing, then that can create a lot of problems and we can become less consistent. We can have uh, interference. That means that we're not really understanding if our system is working the way it should because we're making decisions outside of the context of the system. Like no system is going to say, yeah, like go with the trade unless this guy on Twitter says something bad about it. Right. There's no there's no stop out because. (laughs) some big account says, well, you know, actually I hate Microsoft and it's going to zero. Like uh, the reality is that when we get into one of these things, we do it because we should have a system in place. We should have a way of understanding if that system is working or not, how we're managing our risk and where we're going to potentially get out. What signals that? Is it a particular price? Is it a change in momentum? Is it something else that's happening in positioning? I mean, everyone has a different approach to the market, but at the end of the day, data is our friend and there's yes. an abundance of helpful data out there that can right. help that can guide our decision and and allow us to be a little bit more objective so yeah i do appreciate the call out because that's what oh. we try to do at trader and at macrovisor is provide actionable data and information but also not come away with an entirely biased conclusion about what we're seeing but more share what we think this could mean and how this may set up probabilities. And I think that's really mm-hmm. what trading is about. It's it's about probabilities. It's about assessing how likely it is that an outcome may happen. And then if it looks like it's a very high likelihood and there's that outside return versus risk potential and it's... <clears throat> you know, uh, it's it's essentially a setup that looks conducive to our process, then that's an opportunity no matter what, you know, qualifying it in those general terms because that way different systems can still be kind of uh, uh, defined in those general terms, right? So you might have folks that trade off fundamentals or trade off macro or trade off technicals or trade off positioning. But at the end of the day, just the biggest thing that I would say to everyone that, that is trying to get more fluent in the world of finance is don't spend a lot of time questioning yourself. And if you're going to do that, do that after the trade so that you mm-hmm. can do it during your postmortem and understand why it worked or why it didn't work or how it could have worked better. But don't do it while you're in the trade because you're going to expend mental capital coming up with hypothetical scenarios that don't matter. Because if you have good risk management in place, then what you should be doing at that point is looking for your next trade, looking for yes. your next opportunity. And one of the things that Jason and I spend a lot of time on is trying to find ways to, you know, improve our signals, whether it's iteratively or identifying new signals, finding new asset classes that might be worth trading. And I would recommend that people think about that, that, look, it's tempting to get stuck into just one thing. And some people get really good. And I have nothing wrong with someone who just trades S&P and that's their bread and butter and they make tons of money doing it. Good for them. But I'm a little restless. I don't like trading just one thing. There are different regimes where I might not even be interested in trading something when it's in a certain type of regime. Like if the, the stock market's going sideways, I don't necessarily want to trade that kind of market. It's not very exciting. But if it's moving, then that can add excitement. Similar with commodities or Mm -hmm. bonds or currencies. It's got to have some momentum, some direction to make it attractive. And I think that's the other thing. Like some people might then take issue with that and they could say, well, look, I'm a range trader. That's where I do well. Well, good. Yep. Then you know yourself and like, go kill it. Find lots of ranges to trade because that's your environment. And that's when you, you you know, you excel, but like, that's the thing. And this is the thing that we can kind of wrap it up here, but this is the thing that we see a lot on social media that I find to be so unfortunate because everyone thinks that they kind of are reading into someone else's 
you know, shortcomings or weaknesses or they, they create these fallacies like this person can't be a good trader because they've said this or they've done that. The reality is that everyone's so different that to look at people in that context, and unless you have very specific, repeatable examples through time that show that they're like really just don't know what they're doing. Most people are on such different time horizons and such yep. different trading styles and approaches that you can't possibly really know, if, particularly if they're not even announcing it all. Like if people are putting everything they're doing in their portfolio on Twitter, you're going to have no idea. So take a step back and realize that social media is actually one of the most amazing places to learn from other people, whether it comports with your personality or style or not, doesn't matter. There's always room for growing our awareness, our knowledge and our skill base, right? Yes. No, absolutely. And and that's a, a good way to end it because it's the more that you can be open to understanding and identifying what works with, for you, you know, even if it's you find like I find that if I find uh, newsletters, especially and or analysis or traders with good analysis that can help me with and my time frame that's going to help me a lot more than trying to find somebody that's not in my time frame at all um so most of the time if you can identify what these people's time frames are what they're doing you're going to do a lot better and understand them a little bit more you know i have people who you know they talk shit on me all the time i mean i i start calling my letter the unsophisticated investor just because some dude kept making fun of me and call telling me how unsophisticated i was and how i shouldn't be trading because i look at the charts you know like it's like it's funny to think about that, but it, it really is for me. Sometimes that's as, that's the way it goes. Like it's simple. Trading should be a process that becomes a simple process. At the beginning, it's really it's a hard process because you're trying to identify what you can do well. So you're learning different terms. You're learning different terminology. You're learning why this might work this way. Um, you know, it's very hard. And, and, you know, like like you said, like don't get too overwhelmed by that because everybody starts there. Everybody starts there at the point where everything is way too overwhelming and they have no idea what everybody is talking about. And it's really, really hard to do it at first. You know, like trading is people think about like trading like it's this magical money box and you throw some money into this stock and it goes up forever and you make billions <laughs> of dollars, you know, where in reality, like it's it's not. It's this thing that just like anything else takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. And once you start to learn it, and start to understand the risk management part of it. Because I remember the best thing that ever happened to me was when I started trading, every damn trader I would go to and be like, hey, like, can you teach me some things about trading? And and they would like send me some fucking book on risk management and I would want to like burn it or throw it at a wall or something and be like, <laughs> tell me the secrets. Tell me the secrets about trading. Tell me like you just, you, you buy this. Tell me what to buy. Tell me what to do, you know, and, and really like, they were telling me the secret. The secret is risk management because at the end of the day, it's like even the 60% trader winning winning 60% of the time in a year, that doesn't mean you, you even uh, made money. You know, like you can also win 60% of the time and, and lose money. There's traders I know who have a 30% win rate and I've had years with bad win rates and also have made more money in those years than other years. So I know it's not about your win rate isn't going to make you a great trader. It's putting on the positions. For example, if I put on, let's say I have 10 uh, 1% losses in a row. So I lost 10% on my account. 
And then I have this trade in something like Bitcoin, which makes 50% of my account. Then I have a great return for the year, you know, like, because most of the time, two or three trades are going to make your whole year. Like, it's not the it's not the fact that you're going to sit there and put on trade after trade after trade and, you know, make this perfect 5% average and so on. Like, no, nothing's like that. Some of these trades, and that's really what we do as traders, and that's why I always say it's called hunting for outliers. Like, we hunt for outliers. We are on the hunt with our scopes, looking around, trying to find these outliers. And the only way you're going to find them is by putting on the positions. You're never going to know where they're going to come from. You don't know for a fact that, you know, I I think it was 2020 that lumber was going to do so well and Bitcoin was going to do so well and some of the ag commodities and then energy and so on. Like you didn't know that then. And then 2021, you know, I didn't know that this crazy trade in uh, the commodity space was really going to take over and going to continue to move. All the signals were long. All the positions were on. But I didn't know that could have ended. The Fed could have raised rates then. They started calling uh, inflation transitory and they didn't do it then. And then you get into 2022 and the world's falling apart, but the commodities still continued to go crazy. You know, the first quarter of that year was crazy for commodities. Now, for me to come here today and say I knew all that was going to happen, that's bullshit. Um, I didn't know any of that was going to happen. I just had the long signals on and was sitting in the long signals because that's what my signals and my system told me to do. And I have the faith in my systems from backtesting, trading for so long and reading so much about trading that I have the faith to hold those positions and do what I do. And not to mention holding those positions is only one aspect of it, but the trailing stop loss is the the biggest part of it. So I know that I always need to stop. I know I'm in futures, so if I have a you know a crazy thing happen overnight in Russia, I'm just going to get stopped out. And so all those things together adds to what I do, my system, my methodology, and the reason why I'm able to hang on to some of those trades. Yeah, and I think that's really important. The idea that you know, <clears throat> really, if we're not managing risks, there's no survivability. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of people getting in trouble just saying, you know what, I'm not even going to put stops in. This is such a good trade. It's just going to work. That's exactly yeah. what kills an account. Like there's, <laughs> there's no, there's no, this is such a good trade. It's just going to work. It's just, it doesn't work. And if you get, and the really, like, I got to say this too, if you're one of those outlier people that you've had that happen. And mm-hmm. so then your, 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 your expectations have been conditioned accordingly that you think you just got the Midas touch. Be very careful because that's the exact environment where people kill themselves. Like, yeah, let's say you just 20 X your account and you're like, you know, it's an extraordinary achievement for anyone. That's awesome. But that also means you're on such a role that you're probably not managing risk the way you should be. And you're probably employing too much size. So take a step back and ask. And this is a question we've talked about a lot in the early days of trading. People need to ask themselves, is this repeatable? Do I understand why I'm doing this? Do I understand how to be consistent? And do I know how I'm not going to blow myself up? Because if one's making gains like that, it's probably very concentrated. It's probably very large and it's probably over trading. And those yeah. are three things that, that you know, yes, you can make a lot of money and some people are very good at it, but most people emotionally exhaust themselves and blow up in the process. 
Yeah, great point. Because I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that same scenario where somebody has these really, really insane returns for, you know, six months. I mean, 2020, everybody in the world who bought options could have had insane returns just going long anything about yep. that time. And and we saw a lot of that. People who'd never been in the market before start dumping all their money or, you know, the whatever loan they got or you know, unemployment or something, you know, and people were dumping everything they had into the market at that point and it was making them more money. So, you know, everybody thought they were geniuses. 2021 comes along, the rally ends up getting really thin. It ends up going into financials, uh, energy, industrials, and then it starts to get thinner. And then the only thing that really was going up in, by 2022 was energy. You know, they lost everything by that point. You know, it was very hard because they were picking random stocks like we talked about earlier. So picking random stocks is very hard. They're picking random stocks. They're losing all their money. You know, they're way too concentrated. They're overtrading. They're trading too big. They think they could just buy every dip and it's going to come right back up. And it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I just talked to uh, my uh, <clears throat> my accountant the other day, and he was talking, telling me about uh, his trading. And you know, I was like, "Yeah, what's you know, how's it going?" And he was like, "Yeah, like so basically, my what I do is I buy a bunch of things, and then when they turn green, I sell them." <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, like that, but that's also he started in that, that era of 2020 where like, that's what he was doing then. And so now he's like, the the market's changed. It's a lot tougher. The rally's really thin. So that's what he's doing now, you know? And like, it's like, you got to really like, this isn't that easy. You know, this isn't that easy that you wait till things go green. Some things never go green again. I can promise you like, (laughs) like, been there you know like things never go green again but i think over everything the most important thing to take home from this is that there is no trade that i put on i mean even if i put it on like let's say i'm somewhere and i get a signal for a trade because this happens all the time every day not every day but once a week usually i'm somewhere random i'll get a signal to put on a trade i'll put on a trade uh i'll put on a stop loss the second it's filled and then two minutes later, I go back and check it. Like, did I put that stop loss in? <laughs> you know, like because because yeah. it's always that's the most important thing in the trade. Like, it isn't the position I put on. It isn't the you know thinking about how much money I'm about to make. It's the stop loss. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well said, Jason. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you joining me and uh, talking about all this today. I think it's good material for people of all skill levels because one thing that's true in the world of finance and really everything else in life is we can't stop learning. We can never be satisfied with what we know and expect to do well and expect to improve. So one thing about this journey of trading, of taking control of one's financial destiny is never being satisfied with what we know, always wanting to be a better version of ourselves, just like you were talking about earlier in this conversation. The real competition is, can the me of tomorrow be better than who I am today? Yes. Great point. And Jason, let's do this again soon. It's always fun to catch up and and talk shop, and we've got a lot more to discuss. It was great to talk more about the first half of the year and what you've been doing and and what you see, and uh, I think we should keep this conversation going. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. As always, it's great to chat with you and uh, we'll talk soon.